Before we get started today, I wanted to let you know about my new songwriting instruction video course called Tools Not Rules. I designed this two-and-a-half-hour, six-part video course to help songwriters finish more songs and become more confident and more capable in their songwriting and creativity. The course is $97, but for the next couple of months, listeners of this podcast can get 30% off that price by going to rosskingmusic.com slash unfinished30. That's rosskingmusic.com slash unfinished30. Now let's jump into the podcast. Hey, this is Ross King, and you're listening to Unfinished, a limited series podcast where I take you song by song through the writing and recording process of my newest record, also called Unfinished. For me, the process of making a record is emotional and thrilling and exhausting and all kinds of other things, and I look forward to taking you inside and sharing with you some of the stories of the journey. Thanks for joining me. Let's dive in. As long as I can put myself in the end crowd that, of course, Jesus died for, and this is all well-deserved, well, then, of course, I can look around at other people that maybe didn't deserve it as much, and now I'm the judge uh, of them, and and they're the villain. I'm the hero. I've taken the place in that way of Jesus himself. That was my friend Lance Birch, the lead pastor of Reality Church just outside of Omaha, Nebraska. Good friend of mine. I've known Lance for, gosh, at least 20 years. We had a conversation recently that I recorded just talking about villain. I had some concerns that this episode, uh, which, by the way, it's taken me so long to finish this episode for for a variety of reasons. But one of those reasons is that I just had a lot of complicated feelings about this song when I wrote it, when I was recording it, when the record came out. I just knew there was a potential for this song to feel judgy or to be misunderstood. It's easily the most misunderstandable song on the record, in my opinion. And so I just kind of wanted the accountability of a friend who knows me and who knows the Lord and knows the scripture and has to live day in, day out, you know, saying complicated, publicly scrutinized things. So you'll be hearing from Lance throughout the episode. But for now, let's talk about why... Did I write this weird song? There's a way I've approached songwriting for years that's honestly probably rooted in insecurity, but it's a method or a perspective that I've had for years, and it's called writing in the spaces. And I just mean the spaces in between other songs or in between more mainstream ideas or more mainstream styles. And so I've ended up kind of too pop for for folk and too singer-songwriter for pop and stuff like that. But I've also loved writing really strange ideas, ideas that I've never heard anyone else write. So in the spaces between the other ideas. And then on top of that, I also have this thing, if you've ever you know heard me teach on songwriting, you'll probably hear me say that I write what I talk about. I write what I think about, you know, which probably sounds simple, but I don't know if it's the way everyone approaches it. I keep a running list of things that I seem to be talking about all the time or seem to be getting uh, emotional or worked up about. And I make sure I sort of document those things. So I'll think, oh, I keep saying that. I, I, I keep being interested in that one idea. I keep finding myself being drawn to that. It's the sort of thing where 
good friends of mine, if they listened to my music, ideally ought to be saying, yeah, I've heard Ross talk about that. He's really interested in that. He seems to care about that a lot. Because I don't like the idea that we would write songs, we as creatives would write songs that represented things that we never really talked about. You know, like I'm way into sincerity and authenticity. So this was something I was talking about a lot. I was noticing that on the internet, there would be these moments where somebody would do something bad, you know, publicly, you know, like a, a celebrity or a politician or somebody would mess up publicly and there'd be this swarm, uh, there'd be this frantic race to be the first person to say, I stand against this, you know, not on my watch, you know, <laughs> I'm going to draw a line in the sand and tell everyone that I, that I hate this and that this is bad. And it always sort of felt like a flex to me, but it didn't seem to cost anyone anything. You know, it's like, I'm going to say really loudly before any of you people say it, that I hate this. Some of you are going to be passive and let it go and just, just live your lives. Not me. I'll make sure I talk about it. And look, I do this. Like, you know, there are issues that I care about. I often think, oh, I should use my voice. I should use whatever influence, whatever position I have to speak out against that. And I'm sure there are moments in doing that when I feel kind of proud of myself for having clearly stated, I'm not that kind of person. And it's not like I'm saying calling out evil or things we see as evil is a bad thing. I'm talking about this darker, more subtle thing that says, I secretly need to point out the flaws in other people because I don't want to talk about the flaws in myself. All I'm trying to do is shake loose from the fake news, find the real truth. I'm sending out a signal of my virtues. Hey, look at all my virtues. If I'm the loudest and first to point out the worst, maybe I can be the king of the mountain of dirt that I'm slinging. For me, That's it's not I'm like I'm trying to um, fix this problem you know, with a song. But I do want to get to the heart of it if I can. And I think those of you who listen to me would at least give me the benefit of the doubt that when I'm singing these kinds of things, I'm trying to sing them with the gospel in mind. Like Jesus is important enough to me that everything I'm writing is going to have some kind of nod to the kingdom. Almost everything that, that I'm releasing as an artist is going to be, hey, I'm trying to talk about what matters here with the exception of something like seahorses or my kids' music or something, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to talk about the gospel. And so in this situation, it wasn't just that I wanted to poke fun at or highlight this problem I see on social media. It's that I wanted to say, what's happening here with the people of God? What's happening here with the way that we look at this world uh, through the lens of Christianity and Jesus following? And I don't know that I've been able to figure out what's at the heart of this. But in my conversation with Lance, he said something that was really helpful. Well, I'm coming at everything from the point of view as a pastor. And I'm trying to, to say, well, what's going on in the world right now? What are people thinking? What are people saying? What is the church doing in a unique opportunity when like, we had all this craziness going on? And I, I say craziness, and I know that that encompasses a lot of stuff. But we had a lot of it. 
And what I found was instead of the church like saying, hey, we're, we're not going to whine. We're going to be full of joy. We're going to be full of purpose. I found a lot of fear. This is not a blanket. But what was loudest, I think, to a watching world anyway, was fear and uh, distrust and, to put it into one word, villainizing anybody that was coming at these crazy issues from a different point of view of mine, questioning their motives, not even questioning their motives, filling in their motives for them. It's now to a point in our debates where people aren't just wrong, they're evil. You can't just be wrong anymore. You, you're wrong for a purpose and it's a nefarious purpose and it's because you want something that's evil for me or for the world. That's why I'm singing, I need a villain so I can be the hero. I'm more than willing to put somebody in the gallows I got some Wi-Fi and some outrage so All I need to find is a good scapegoat There's nothing wrong with killing As long as the blood that you're spilling belongs to a villain Over the last several years I've just gotten really interested in some of these teachings on neighbors and enemies and how we treat others, stuff that I have heard my whole life, but for some reason has just become more important to me, has started sticking out to me more, in, in, particularly in the scriptures, teachings of Jesus, teachings of the New Testament, etc. And I could read you any number of passages that would speak to this and, and that have spoken to me, but one of the most sort of jam-packed, concise sections of scripture is in Luke chapter 10, and I'll just read read it to you with a little bit of commentary. It says, Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the guy answers, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says back to him, You've entered correctly. Do this and you will live. But then it says the guy wants to justify himself and he says, Well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story that many of us know as the Good Samaritan parable. And the story makes a hero out of someone who they would have considered a bad person, someone they were allowed to be prejudiced against. And it makes villains, you could argue, out of them, out of the kind of people that they would have admired, religious leaders, people like them. And so it's a really complicated thing because he doesn't even say, you want to know who your neighbor is? Here's who your neighbor is. Instead, he lays out this situation where the kind of people that you don't like look great in the story and do a wonderful thing, a noteworthy and altruistic and noble and righteous thing. And the kind of people that you are, the kind of people that you admire, do an unrighteous and unloving and unkind thing. Completely twists up the whole deal. And I just haven't been able to shake that. I've known that story my whole life, but I've only recently been really understanding what it means for how I look at the world around me. And I'm just trying to process that. And villain became one of the ways that I processed it. And the more I think about that question, who is my neighbor, and the way it relates to us now, I start wondering, maybe there's another question that's a little darker under the surface. 
Here's my friend Lance again. Asking the question, who can I hate, is driven by something probably less than what the goal of the New Testament was. It seems like the question that the New Testament is asking instead is, who can I demonstrate God's love to? Who can I shine the light of of who Jesus is toward? But there's child trafficking. There is slavery all over the world. There are systems that are set up that that are just making it awful for human beings to try to survive. There's kids uh, being raised in ways that are just painful for those kids. And and we've got to hate those things. And, and even in some ways, we have to work against the people who might have an, uh, a, a stake in keeping those things the same. And I'm really glad Lance mentioned that last part, because I want to be clear, I'm not saying there are no villainous things or even that there are no villains. What I'm saying is that we're way too quick to seek out and identify and assign the label of villain on people that the scriptures say we ought to see as neighbors. And that's a problem, because you have this very important moment in the Gospels, in John 17, where Jesus is about to die on the cross, and he prays, Lord, make them one. Make them as one as we are. He's talking to the Father about the Father, Son, and Spirit, and he says, make them just as one as we are, and that's pretty unified. And if we're not careful, we're going to destroy that in our efforts to take sides and prove that we're right and the other side is wrong. And it's really dangerous, and it gets in the way of the actual mission of the gospel. Anyway, I'm sure I've over-talked this. Let's take a minute to talk some about how I wrote the song. Here's a little clip of the original demo that I sent to Mark and Ben. I'm singing, I need a villain So I can be the hero I'm more than willing Put somebody in the gallows I got some Wi-Fi and some outrage So all I need to find is a good scapegoat There's nothing wrong with killing As long as the blood that you're spilling Belongs to a villain It's funny, I haven't listened back to that since the record came out, and I'm remembering now all these things that were going through my head as I was working on it. One thing you can hear in there is that I wasn't sure what octave the chorus should be in. Should it be low and kind of moody, or should it be high? At the time, I didn't know what kind of energy that it should have, so I just recorded both, and and I just let those guys kind of hear both those versions and figured they they would choose. But the other thing that's interesting is that something that made it all the way to the final was this little two-note thing, you know, this. That's something that was there when I started it. I remember I had been saying this phrase a lot in conversations, talking about this topic. I would say something like, oh, people just want to find a villain because they really want to be the hero. And I think I've said before on this podcast that I tend to keep up with things I say a lot. I'm a verbal processor, so sometimes I will discover that I really care about something because I've said it in a conversation, right? Which I know is kind of backwards and probably gets me in trouble occasionally. But um, this, in this instance, I knew that I cared about this topic and that I was saying this thing about villains and heroes and all of that. And so I remember just sitting down at the piano one day and I started doing this thing where I was where I was moving the bass note only, but not changing the two note chord in the right hand. 
So it ended up sounding like this. It was like... Right? So it's just the same chord in the right hand. But on, on the left hand, I'm, I'm going... So it's got this interesting kind of a dissonance. And that's nothing brilliant. I mean, that's done lots of times, but I'm not a, I'm not a very good musician. I've told you that before. And so to me, it felt kind of, there was a cool mood there to keep that minor going all the way through it, but move the color on the, on the low end, which gave it this kind of, you know, this mood that I thought was really cool. I sent it to Ben and Mark like that. It was just me and the piano and not very well played or elaborate. Most of the song was just me hitting chords, you know, just really, really simple stuff. But then I got it back and I remember I was in the car with Stacy and Ben sent me a version and I'd heard nothing on this song. And honestly, this was a song, I just wasn't sure if it was any good because it was very weird compared to a lot of the other stuff and very specific. And so I thought, man, is this, is this okay to put this on the record? Is it good enough? Whatever. And when I got back Ben's first draft of a bunch of stuff he had done, I mean, obviously Mark worked on it too, but I think Ben was kind of uh, overseeing this one a little bit more. And he sent me something, a first draft. Stacy and I were in the car together and we just sat there like with our mouths open, just gleefully taking in this weird carnival of sonic goodness and i remember thinking yes 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 if this song is has any hope of making an impact it has to be interesting like this and beautiful and it has to be surprising and it has to have a, a little bit of a spoonful of sugar sort of element to it so that i can speak this hard thing it was really wonderful to have ben and mark understand it the way that i wanted it to be understood here's ben talking about the production so Villain was a super fun song to kind of figure out how to produce. I had the thought of making this song super sneaky and spooky, kind of like you're sneaking around trying to uh, trick people into thinking you're better than you are, or finding the bad parts of other people. And then juxtaposing that with when all the big guitars and everything come in in the chorus, it's almost like you're proud of what you've built. You're proud of what you've stolen from people. It was a really fun backwards way of thinking about producing the song. And at the time I was doing a lot of these spooky instrumental score pieces for film and TV. And I think that fueled the darkness in some of the production in that down chorus with the little music box and little elements like that give it a kind of cinematic, kind of spooky, creepy, but also bombastic production, which I thought just fit the lyric in the song really well. In my 25 plus years of writing and releasing music as an artist, I've occasionally written songs like this that were sarcastic in tone, where the whole song is meant to say, look at how wrong this perspective is, and that'll show you what's right. You know, by exposing the ludicrous nature of this bad perspective, it will make you realize, oh, there must be some better way. 
it's difficult to be totally honest. And I don't always do it well. And I haven't always done it well because it requires at least two things that are kind of tough. One is you have to clothe the lyric in this more pop and beautiful and interesting uh, sonically pleasant music so that it softens the tone of the harsh uh, sarcasm. And two, you have to find a way to tell the story in such a way that it's not so obvious and insulting to the listener. What I mean is there's nothing interesting or compelling about exposing a perspective that everyone knows is wrong. So it's like someone saying, I'm drawing a line today. I don't agree with people who kill little puppies. Well, of course, everyone hates that. You're not saying anything interesting if you just talk about perspectives that are obvious. So the, the difficult balance is to bring some sympathy and some reason and some credibility and some mitigation to a perspective so that it feels like any of us might fall for it or might be pulled into it, but then expose what's broken or deceptive about that perspective, right? So that's something, you know, that is really hard to do well. And like I said, I haven't always done it well. So with Villain, I wanted to make sure that I talked about these real issues like fact-checking, you know, is it unbiased? Is it really fact-checking or is it just censorship and fake news? And, and, and of course, the very real idea that sometimes we speak the truth into a dark world and there's persecution. That's an actual real problem. And so I wanted to make sure I gave a little bit of credibility to this person by mentioning those things because those are real things. What I wanted to do was uh, not trick people, but say there's a little bit of all of us in this, including me, but we have to be careful that we don't go so far down this path that we're looking for ways to shed the blood of other people made in the image of God or looking for ways to demean and dehumanize and um, see as other and see as unlovable and see as un unredeemable these people who the Lord's called us to love, whether they're a part of the church or whether they're not. And the ultimate way for me, if I'm dealing with my own heart, to really dig in and expose my own part in this is to take things that are very personal to me and pull those into the song. And that's that's where you get this Psalm 139 reference in the bridge. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 is the first ever Bible verse I remember memorizing as a young like, you know, middle schooler. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And I'm probably mixing up some, some, some translations whenever I say that. But I always love that verse because it said, God, look at me, look closely. Let me know if there's anything in me that's not right and correct me, Lord. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that. I need you to do it. And so in the midst of a song that might appear to be something where I'm calling out other people, I bring in this verse that's very, very personal to me that I've literally prayed in my own heart probably hundreds and hundreds of times, and then turn it and say, yeah, Lord, search me, know my heart, but just let me know about the parts that don't have to change. I don't want you to show me the parts that have to change. And the truth is, that's probably the way I've approached that verse a lot of the time. I've you know, said that I'm asking God to show me what's wrong, and, and to r reveal to me things that need to get better. But deep down, I'd rather he didn't. I'd rather the Lord just left me alone. So it was good for my soul 
was a good personal accountability to use that verse uh, for the end of the song. Search me, God, and know my heart, but just the parts that are needing to be changed. I cannot face the shame of my reality. I need a person worse than me to be a villain. I'm like the kid who goes before the judge uh, accused of murder, and I want to talk about the fact that I was on honor roll in high school. I'm a cyclist, I ride my bike a lot, and I often hear people complain about traffic. Traffic was so bad, traffic is awful. And what cyclists usually say to that is, you're not stuck in traffic, you are traffic. So if God was going to eliminate all the evil in the world tomorrow with a snap of his fingers like Thanos did, neither you nor I would, would be left standing. That was, of course, my friend Lance, once again, spouting some wisdom. I really appreciate his help as I processed this and tried to find a fresh way to talk about it for the podcast. You know, one final thing I haven't really talked about yet is that I had a lot of fun writing and recording this song. As heavy as it is, it was really enjoyable to me to be creative in this way. I tried to give the song these like childlike melodies that were really enjoyable and it's got lots of rhymes and word pictures that were really fun to write. You know, complicated algorithms leading me to wisdom, showing me conspiracies of which I am a victim. I, I just really enjoyed doing that stuff. Like that's a, that's like rings all my bells as a creative. And I only mention that because of something that Lance said in our conversation. At one point, he told me a story about a sort of sad surprise he got one Sunday after a sermon that he preached. It was right after George Floyd was murdered. Just a horrific crime. And Lance tells a story that he knew he had to say something to his congregation this Sunday after that happened. And he simply said, you know, something like, I wish we could live in a world where racism doesn't exist. Something really benign and, and obvious like that. And he got a bunch of strange feedback from people. People trying to assign meaning to his words or, or, or intent, believing he was saying something you know, more subversive or cryptic than what he was actually saying. I'll let him tell you this part of the story. And some really um, interesting, we do Q&A at our church, and I, I got a lot of really kind of pointed questions during the Q&A time about it, whether it was about CRT or Black Lives Matter or other things like that. And I, I just remember that time being, being confused by something that I think that, that everybody should agree with, that Christianity actually, you know, proclaims. I was just really confused that making a statement like, wouldn't it be great to live in a country where there's no racism, would elicit a response like that. But, but then I got to thinking, and, and your song kind of plays into this, I think people are on a villain hunt. A villain hunt. Sadly, I agree. But here's what's interesting. The reason I had so much fun with this song, the reason I was able to look past the heaviness and the ugliness of the topic and find some pop in it, some creativity, some life, some enjoyment, is because I've already discovered the most important part of the villain hunt. I went on a hunt and I found the big villain. And it was me. 
And once I realized how guilty that I was of this, there was a ton of freedom. I can just repent of being nasty and prideful, and then I can look at myself with some humility and some humor and be like, oh man, I'm the worst. Let me write this down. Wait till you folks hear what a villain I've been. Wait till you hear how much I've been judging all of you. And I'm not saying I never struggle with this anymore or that I'm done with it or I figured out how to stop sinning in this way. Of course not. But I am saying that the first step to working through this is admitting that we're not better than anyone. We're not heroes. We're not God's favorites. We're not stuck in traffic. We are traffic. And if we can really let that sink in, all of us, including me, maybe we can stop seeing our neighbors as villains and start treating our villains by the grace and love of Jesus like neighbors. Maybe so, in Jesus' name.